0: This is episode 143 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined this week again by Ryan Top, Paul Noonan, and Brad Ford. We're sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know, they're great beers like the flagship Fantasy Factory IPA, Block Party, and others. You can also try their latest creation, the New Norm Ale, with proceeds helping support the Wisconsin Brewers Guild. The next time you're in Madison, stop by their brewery in Kinsman Boulevard on the east side to check it out. You can also get a discount on some Carbon Four merch just by listening to this podcast. Go to carbonfour.com and use our promo code MKE Tailgate when you check out. That's Carbon Four Beer brilliance you can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com mke tailgate our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with ryan and brad you'll also get paul's reporting as eligible packers mini pods through the off season our patrons also get question priority here on the program and you get a personal shout out here on the pod when you do become a patron and we got some of those patreon questions to get to in a little bit but first Let's just jump right in with uh, the latest, which I guess is a whole lot of nothing on the uh, negotiations between the players and the owners. Uh, there was that meeting between Rob madford and Tony Clark earlier in the week and basically two very different accounts of what happened <laughs> when they sat down <laughs> to say the uh, least. To say the least, apparently Rob Manfred thought he left Arizona with a deal, and Tony Clark uh, basically said, what are you talking about? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> he
1: says that he thought they had a deal, but then his statement was the most lawyerly thing. And Paul can, sure can, was. can attest to this. Like, that was the most lawyerly thing. He specifically said we had a – what was it? A framework, a framework
2: to – framework for a deal or for a perspective deal. For an
1: agreement, yeah. Like, it was the most lawyerly thing ever, and so – that's the giveaway right there. He didn't really think they had a deal. The owners don't really think they had a deal. They just want people to think that they thought they had a deal so that they can proceed and do what they were going to do anyway.
0: Right. So basically uh, what they thought they had as a framework was a (laughs) 60 game proposal from the owners. I guess the players haven't officially rejected that, but they came back with a 70 game offer also excluding or including expanding the playoffs this year and next, but the players offer had them taking a bigger share of those revenues, which apparently had several owners. I think irate was the word that came out from livid. payment and others. Livid. Livid. Sorry. Yes. Oh, sorry. Livid. I don't want to get the degree of anger wrong here. So they were <laughs> livid, but basically it comes down to they're squabbling over 10 games now, uh, which makes things look somehow even worse. <laughs> so, Let's just go back to, I guess, Paul. So you, you guys kind of mentioned it, that Manfred might be doing some lawyering here. Is he basically just kind of covering his bases, checking off things for a grievance, or what's going on here from a law perspective? So
2: I don't think anything he did was really legally um, warranted, or I think this is still mostly a PR play by him. Um, and I do think, uh, if you keep reading Calcaterra... It, that whole scenario makes it more likely that there's a lot of owners not lined up, um, that there's a lot of division there, because it does seem like the, Manfred is serving two masters here. And the, the, he obviously, as Ryan said, he knew they didn't have a deal. There's no ambiguity about this when you go and negotiate a contract with somebody. You know when you have a deal and when you don't. This is very simple because you walk out of the meeting with a signed piece of paper, and that is a, that is what a contract is. Um, <laughs> there's no... there's, uh, I'm not... Uh, this will same awesome. flip, and I'm, I'm mad at the way the media covered this, just because there's no way to have ambiguity here. It is impossible. So awesome. he is a union has to vote. <laughs> um, so the union has to vote. You can set that up in advance. Um, the players did not do that, but you can you can have a vote on the the allowable things that you, your representative can agree to in a meeting, and then they can come out and tell you what what they actually got. Like that can happen. So it's possible. No, Tony Clark, not a lawyer. Um, there there would be a lawyer present for that to happen. But you can have that sort of face-to-face meeting with representatives from both sides without having to bring it back out to a vote. You can agree to that in advance. That didn't happen, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> what Manfred is doing is PR work to try and blame a, a rejection of an agreed deal on the players, make them look bad, which is what they always do, which is why you should all think they're scumbags. But also, I do think trying to say to the owners behind the scenes who like wanted this deal, like, Hey, I thought I had it. They're being jerks again. And, you know, what can we do about that? He's in a bad spot. He, he He's uh, still suffering from messing this up in the first place. So that's what they're doing. This is a continued try to blame the players thing. Um, they got not negotiating in good faith. And they, they still, their ultimate goal is to drag this out um, long enough so that they can impose as short a, a season as possible and win a grievance because there's not that much time left. Same Same as last week, just
0: different actors and different things going on. Right. So one of the, I guess, tip offs that that we should have known that there was no deal, right, was because Tony Clark didn't have a lawyer with him. Yes. Right. So like uh, just negotiating, like if they were actually negotiating a deal, not having a lawyer present and Medford being a lawyer himself would be kind of unfair. And it's actually a violation in a lot of places. So, yes. Maybe that's um, why
1: it was in Phoenix, because they're beyond all (laughs) laws of God and man. Right. So,
2: uh I mean, maybe that is the case, but the I'm sure that the collective bargaining rules state that there's got to be a, a union lawyer present for those. So, yeah, it doesn't doesn't matter. States weren't going to save anybody here. Um I do think that that they will. The owners are going to get some help on delaying this by the bigger outbreaks of COVID-19 that we've seen lately. And right. Even the players this week, when uh, the, the owners came back with health and safety proposals said, mm, we got to take a little time on this, which. You know, previously they'd kind of been hustling to try and make the owners set as long a date as possible and have a good background to file a grievance, but even they were kind of like, oh, "We have to actually look over this proposal and take some time and evaluate it." And I think both parties might be getting a little skittish about the state of the country too. So, um, I think right, it's like I was pretty optimistic before that they were going to get a, get something done, even after that meeting blew up because they're only apart on a per team basis by like a David Risky contract. Um, <laughs> that's, a, which, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. It, I, it was, I stole that from somebody about 10 I million. From, that I stole it from you without giving credit. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like 10 million bucks. So um, if they lose this season over that, it's ridiculous. But with, uh, with the disease popping back up as predicted by many, um, I think that there's cause to have legitimate concern as to whether everybody actually wants to go back at this point.
0: Right. So that is kind of the big development over the last week is we, we saw the COVID outbreaks at uh, Phillies and Blue Jays camps down in Florida. Uh, coincidentally, their their facilities are just down the road from each other. So that's kind of led to MLB shutting down all the spring training facilities in Florida and Arizona for the time being. So they, they can uh, deep clean and, and kind of go through those procedures. But it kind of brings up an interesting point or at least a reminder that, you know, we've been talking for weeks about all the money and by the way, there's still a pandemic going on and we may not be able to play anyway, which kind of, you know, I, I said this on Twitter earlier in the week, but the owners easily could have just said, you know, if they wanted to play this out, they easily could have just said, well, it, it's not safe to come back right now. And they would have saved face and nobody would have questioned them for it. Right. Yes, well, absolutely.
1: hold on though. They would have been questioned for it by, I guess the politicians that have been pushing them to get back sure like they yeah. would have they would have gotten a lot of pushback and from a lot of the people that still th- see this as like the flu which is apparently a lot of people because
2: they would have gotten it from masks yeah and and from some pundits who who come back to the line of we, we need baseball back as a distraction or for some normalcy or blah 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 too but um, I would think by the vast majority of people, they would have been on solid ground and as a negotiating tactic do the thing that gets you the most people on solid ground not the fringe loonies like you can use that against people who want to go back and play too It'd be like oh look dopes like you know i'm not going to cite anybody i'll get yelled at for that but <laughs> <laughs> dopes who think that's a flu want you guys uh, um, are now on the side of the players like do you really want that so uh, there was a way to do this right or smartly by the, the owners and they didn't do it but uh, it might not end up mattering i mean if uh, if the disease is popping back up this much and Florida is just a disaster right now. And a few other Southern States, especially uh, it, it's just hard to play. Um, you know, you can't have, you know, like an umpire dro- dropping dead because
0: of this, because you played baseball it can't happen or a coach or a manager or whatever. Right. Yeah. I guess my question for, for all of y'all was, it, it, do you feel like the fighting over the bunny thing is kind of moot now if they can't figure out a way to address, The health factor here, you know, they keep going back and forth on the health proposals, but is it still just a bad idea to even try to play in the next month or so?
3: Well, considering we had players just practicing on the side, and uh, from what I understand, a lot of those facilities had relatively few players compared to what they're uh, capable of handling. And you're still seeing outbreaks like this and big outbreaks like this in states where the virus is a significant issue. You would need really stringent lockdown protocols. And I don't think a lot of the players are going to agree with that. So it it is starting to make it more of a, yeah, I want baseball back, but like, is this really the fight you guys want to have right now? Is it like, do you want to continue this fight over $300 million or do you want to acknowledge like health is the issue And I feel like uh, they are going to realize like, oh, crap. Well, if this virus that has long lasting impacts is getting to our players and we thought we had some control of them, uh, maybe this is a bad idea. Uh, I also think there's a level of arrogance for both the players and the owners and that they are probably better and can do a good job at handling it. But I, I do think this has to have some semblance of bringing them to reality, right? Like that, it, it is still a significant issue that is going to make whatever you dream up very difficult.
2: Yeah, I, I think the big, the money, I don't think is moot. I, I do think this is a bit of a gift to the owners on the money front. But um, the one thing that the last few months, I think, really did was give them some complacency on health and safety that I think they thought the framework they had sort of drawn out in, broad strokes would be sufficient in that when they had money um, all settled, they, they could, you know, spend a day or two figuring that part out and, and hit go. Whereas uh, I think with the, the huge uptick in, and one of the weird things about this is it's just very localized where, where these outbreaks happen. Uh, the, the, the United right. States is a very big country and it's not uniform across everything. And these are going to pop up and flare up in certain places and not in others. But I think that there actually needs to be a much more detailed plan if they want to go forward and maybe much more, stri- like Brad said, more stringent for the players than they previously were kind of thinking. And, you know, once it's one thing to be like, okay, we'll keep to ourselves and wear masks and blah, 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 and we'll all be fine. But when you start actually sitting down and doing that planning and all of a sudden it's like, well, you can't go out in these times. And, you know, remember all that stuff we talked about not being able to use therapeutic equipment? Well... Yeah. Right. Yep, that's the case. There's certain air-conditioned buildings you won't be able to go into. And there's all these other things that that the reality smacks you in the face of, I'm going to be playing baseball for not that much money and being in these kind of dangerous situations, traveling around and just not able to do all this stuff. Once you start to have that hit home a bit, I'm sure it changes your perspective quite a bit on what still needs to be negotiated, whether I want to do this in the first place. Uh, And I I think they're going to run into that once they actually hit this part of negotiating.
1: I think that... The players are still like they are programmed to want to play baseball. And that's we've seen from the beginning that that's a big part of this and that they really want to get on the field and don't minimize the fact that even though they're not getting their full salaries, they are getting the full pro rata. I mean, we've we've crossed that bridge, right? We we know that whatever deal, if there is a deal struck, it's going to be for the full pro rata. Basically, baseball gave up on the idea of trying to force them to take less. So they're still going to get that money and in many cases a lot of them probably really need it like they do need the money it is important for them to you know pay off whatever you know debts they have mortgages like you know they they have expensive lifestyles and need to be able to support that so i think that we are there there's still a lot of motivation on their part to do it the question is whether or not this can be done in any way that's remotely safe. And I think that baseball ultimately, like I think the worst thing that could happen for baseball is for them to start a season and then have to just shut it down because so many players test positive. So many teams are just, it, it just becomes unworkable. Like you just can't play under these conditions. And you're going to have some rogue players. And, you know, I guess all it takes is one particular knucklehead to bring it back to a team and then spread it around like crazy but I think that most of the players are going to be smart and careful about it just because I think that the the news they will they will be educated by the union if nobody else about Mm -hmm. the dangers of this and told hey look you know this is this is something that could really cripple your livelihood like if you get this you know, show them the picture of the lungs like yep. that's pretty, you know, players will understand. <clears throat> I need my lungs to be able to to play baseball like I have to have that, that it's not a negotiable. So I think that that most will be careful. But I, the question I have and I was I was going to throw this to you, Paul, who is it advantageous for even if like they can't get the the season off the ground because of covid? Who is it advantageous for to get a, a financial settlement for even if it doesn't matter? Doesn't that f- favor the players somewhat or does it depend on the terms like who wins that negotiation or how does that work?
2: A financial settlement meaning if they don't play any games, what kind of payout is there?
1: No, I mean like if they come to an agreement on what the framework of a, of a season would look like but they're not actually okay. able to play it. Not is, actually able to play it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, uh. I mean, at that point, I don't really think you're you're in the you're not you're not in the PR part anymore. And I don't really think it, it favors anybody um, other than probably the eight owners who don't want to play a season. Um, right. Because it, I mean, at that point, you're just thrown in the towel and um, it basically admitting the disease is not workable. And I, I I don't think there's a winner there. I just don't. That's uh, worst case for everybody. And the, the one thing it might do is reset things a little bit for negotiations next time around. Everybody gets kind of a clean slate. I, I think it, that, there's no silver lining, but to the extent you have one, it's, it probably does help out negotiations fresh for the next time around when everybody's had a fresh look with no consequences at how negotiating is going to go. But, uh, but I, I don't think there's a benefit to, to anybody in that scenario. That's just um, That's just too bad. The world is not good right now, and we'll try again next year. There's no winners in that scenario. Artie yes. Moreno, maybe. That's it. <laughs> God. The
1: last person anybody wants to just walk away from this a winner. Is, right. Artie yeah.
2: Moreno on, is, yeah. On and, the
1: side and the Marlins. The,
0: yeah, the Marlins. That's yeah. fine, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it'll be, I guess, interesting to see where the next week or so goes, uh, both in terms of the financial negotiations and how the league handles these outbreaks that are starting to pop up because to like Brad's point, it's not even like they were doing spring training with everybody in the building. These are just handfuls of people going into the facility to work out, stay in shape and they're coming down with COVID. So it, it it raises those questions again that we were kind of talking about, you know, at the start of this, like what happens when you're on the road and the Phillies come in to New York and they have, eight players test positive and suddenly they're crippled for a series. And how does that throw off the competitive balance and a weird 50 to 60 game schedule? And it's just, I, you know, there's just all sorts of craziness uh, to figure out here. And even uh, comparing it to, you know, we've been saying baseball looks really bad compared to the NBA who seems to have their stuff together. And in the last week we're seeing, uh, players kind of start to reach out and go thinking twice about this Disneyland proposal yeah, as yeah. Florida starts to explode, right? Oh, yeah, the Orlando um,
1: bubble. Yeah, that's a great idea. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: So, y- you know, you you have some NBA players kind of stepping back from that. So now suddenly everything uh, sports wise in the US is starting to look iffy. So, you know, it. Yeah. So I, by the time this
2: goes up, there'll be a, a reporting is eligible mini pot up basically on the topic of. Which sports are best equipped to withstand playing during this pandemic? Mm. And I think football is the worst. I was um, going to say, <laughs> yeah. But I <laughs> mean, everybody is impacted equally by the ability to get the disease. The one thing baseball has going for it is it, it can't. It does have a big pool to pull players from. It, like right. even if, even if worst case happened and a team all had to get quarantined for a while, like there's essentially another team you can bring up and throw out there, so you can keep the sure. season going. Now, whether that's a good idea is a different question, but you can. So there is that. Um, baseball is well well suited to do that, but uh, I mean, you just start talking about like, what if that actually happens? I mean, it's a giant story. It's a, it's basically a clear sign, like, oh no, no, shut things down. <laughs> I and mean, foot football in a terrible space because they don't have anybody to bring up. And if like, right a quarterback had to be
0: quarantined for three weeks, like that team season is <laughs> <laughs> over. Well, so, that's why um, the Packers drafted Jordan Love, right, in case <laughs> Rogers gets COVID. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's just kind of interesting to see. I think especially college football is the big question and the ickiness factor of That's that raises it because, it, it, like, because they're not being so compensated at all. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with that. But uh, we do have a couple of Patreon questions kind of on just the current situation in baseball and how things are going. So our good friend Jay Google with the first question. It's a pretty good uh, th- topic to think about here. Which is worse Bud Selig's handling of the steroid era or Manfred right now how about Brad you take us first
3: I don't know especially (laughs) because I wasn't like really watching uh, as strongly as I do now during the handling of the steroid era really all I have is like what happened after the fact knowledge of it and without having that post look at like what is the repercussion of how Manfred's handling this right now goes it's hard to tell I think I would go with Selig because I think baseball was actually attracting new fans and that attraction of new fans was hurt when they found out what they were getting excited about was something that was very admonished in sports and feared that athletes were taking part. In. So when you suddenly have, that drop in public interest is when it hits. And I feel like the Manfred negotiations, although they upset us all, I feel it's really much more of a baseball loyalist group who gets upset by these type of things. And it has a lower impact. Maybe it's worse to hurt your loyal fans and actually do damage to the people who you can count on coming back. But in Mm -hmm. terms of the steroid era was actually growing the popularity of the game. And then all those disappeared when they found out what they were watching was fake.
1: I mean, did or they relatively... though? Did, I mean, did all these new fans, I think a lot of people stuck around. I think that.
3: Well, viewership numbers progressed down over the years progressively after that. Right.
1: Well, a viewership of everything has gone down. Like that's, you know, baseball still
2: NFL, until recently, <laughs> even the NFL has gone down. Actually, they're just the biggest thing that is, well, they were from this. they from the steroid era, they were going up progressively. And then yeah. what
3: they went down around, they started going down around 2014, 2015, yep. once health became more of an issue.
1: When I think attendance in baseball continued on a relative upswing for a long time until well after the steroid era was over.
3: I think maybe too, I have a tainted look at it because I had family members who would make McGuire Sosa must watch television. Yeah, who would make. Every I remember must-watch television.
2: I remember it, ESPN breaking in with updates on you
0: know everything plus oh, 60 right. runs and or fifty maybe even. I mean, um, Fox, I was, yeah, Fox carried those. You know, we we just saw the Maguire Sosa thirty for thirty come out, but Fox carried every single one of those games for that week, just hoping to get it. I re- remember vividly watching that game that Maguire broke the record. So yeah. It, yeah. So I think All right. I, th- I think the question with Seelig is, is there any owner plausible or not
2: owner, sorry, any commissioner plausibly who would not be treating the players as enemies um, in the media? Because uh, I think when you look at Seelig, what you can say is it wasn't good for baseball, but everything he did was rational and pretty well executed. He, like they used the steroid era to get their popularity back after a work stoppage that he kind of caused. And then after that, used the demonization around steroids to gain leverage over the players in, in negotiations. Like that's all debatably dirty pool, but he, he played it pretty well. Um, whereas Manfred, I think you can make a good case in this instance has just been incompetent, um, and, and not had a good vision for what they want to have happen. And, and just actually botching the actual work that needs to go into making <laughs> deals. It, it depends on what perspective you want to take on uh, as who's done more damage. We won't know how much damage Manfred's done, might be none um, if, if health and safety just squabble, squatches the whole season. I mean, then it's maybe debatably a good thing that this has been drawn out and stupid so that it didn't get started in the first place. Um, so it won't know the, the repercussions in a while. But I think he's undoubtedly done a worse job than Selig at, at his job um, what, for what he's been called on to do.
3: Yeah, I think that's the most fair take is when you look at what they're supposed to do, Manfred, womp.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, and the
1: thing too is, Seelig in the steroid era didn't have a constituency that was for, you know, blowing the whistle on the players. The owners didn't want the the whistle blown on the players. The players certainly didn't want the whistle blown on the players. (laughs) Like there was literally nobody except for eventually Congress who like forced their hand on this, and Seelig kind of just had to go along for the ride on that because where was he going to get any sort of leverage? He can't. The commissioner's office does not have the kind of power that it had under Kennesaw Mountain Landis. Like he he didn't have the ability to just unilaterally do stuff. So he was in a, a tougher position, I think, than Manfred, though. I mean, you could make the argument and maybe this is going back to what you just said, Paul. That might have been part of the calculus here, too, was they didn't want to agree to anything until they had a firmer idea of what the health and safety situation in the country was going to look like. And now they have a better idea of what that's going to look like. That may have been part of the delaying all along. I still think the the primary reason for delaying and stretching things out was tactical money-wise. But they may have also had an eye on the the health and safety thing and going, we don't know if we're even going to be able to do this. So there's kind of not a point to like plowing ahead and like promising something that we end up in the end can't deliver. So that could have been a factor in this, too. I know that takes a little bit of onus off of Rob Manford for the dirty tactics he's used in the money negotiations with the union. But like I could see that as being part of the 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 thought process at least going into how they're handling things.
2: I mean, that certainly also dovetails with them wanting to delay things anyway, but I, I do think it's, it's sort of undeniable that they botched the March deal um, from the owner's perspective. So, um, but yeah. I mean, they they do want to delay things if they want to, if they want to also claim they want to delay things to check out how the world's going to evolve. Eh, fine. That's good PR play. They should actually start doing that. Um, <laughs> But, uh, uh, I mean, it's been mostly about money. Anyway, they're both not great commissioners. Let's just we can leave it
0: at that. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw the point made earlier this week that it's really missing right now was Bud Selig's talent, I guess. It was described as talent in uh, getting everybody, all the owners to buy in and yep. stay uh, unified because looking at the history of baseball prior to Selig, it was very tough to get all the owners kind of do agree on one thing and it's been a big battle since then so i i tweeted out and i think paul you retweeted it that you know every commissioner needs to have experience as a used car sales, salesman because like that's the great <laughs> yep that's the great uh persuasive factor there right um, absolutely that is the skill set you want
2: Exactly. I mean, getting that, owner solidarity that was
1: you know. Seelig's strong suit. Everybody says that that he spent yep. so much time talking to each and every owner that they all felt like they had a personal connection to him and a stake in what he was doing. And he was able to use that to keep them largely unified for most of his tenure after that's that's what he set out to do after the, the strike in 94 was to bring right. all the owners together and it he did, and it worked, and it it's why the owners were then able to and Rob Manfred, as the chief negotiator, was able to you know so thoroughly clean the clocks of the union the last few times was the owners were unified in
0: purpose, so I guess going back to jay's original question, i keeping sealeg's uh ability to basically get what he wanted out of the owners in mind uh does that make the failure with the steroid era? more blatant because you know his his defense of this over time has been well i asked the question in these meetings and it was just treated with radio silence but like dude you're the commissioner you can talk to people and kind of raise the issue right so i don't know maybe maybe that makes the steroid area era thing worse but there's no question that both bud and MadFred. Are, are bad at the PR thing, right? So, like, both of them have taken a beating. And I think, you know, outside of what Roger Goodell, I don't think any commissioner has gotten a consistent public beating like baseball commissioners have, right? So, I don't know. It, it Maybe it's six, six of one, half a dozen of the other in terms of which which was worse. Yeah, We got another Patreon question uh, sort of along these lines uh, from Adam Post, uh, kind of taking another discussion that was on twitter in the last week but you know let's bring it to this forum here he said he uh forgot who posted this poll on twitter the other day but basically your options for this question are a 2020 season is canceled and rob manfred is fired or b 2020 season is played and manfred keeps his job so basically would you trade no baseball for getting madfred out of office brad
3: uh At this point, yes, because then it will also keep the players healthy from COVID. So, if like, oh, now everyone stays healthy and Rob Manfred is gone, that's a win win. I like baseball, I want to see it back, but um, I also don't want any human to have to go through this like horrible illness. So, for me, that's a win win.
1: So, I'm going to say B with the caveat that I'm assuming that it can be done safely. If it can be done safely, B is definitely the better option. or I mean relatively safely, like they can they can work out a protocol and a set of circumstances that is going to make this workable. because I think not playing the 2020 season at all is going to be really, really, really damaging to the sport long term on a lot of fronts. And I also don't think that like firing Rob Manfred, fixes things very much because you're just going to get somebody else in there who is largely you're going to get Manfred light because Manfred is just following the whims of the owners. And it's not like the owners are going to pick somebody who won't follow their whims. They're not going to just go and find some magnanimous Solomon-like figure out there who's gonna you know know how to split the baby like that's not gonna happen. They're not gonna they're gonna find somebody else who's gonna do that follow their whims. And to Paul's point, like who's going to do better in that original negotiation to more effectively screw the players?
0: So right, if anything, you're gonna get Manford extra instead of Manford light. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree with that. I I also go B with the caveat
2: that it's played safely. Uh, I don't really care who the commissioner is that much and. Like to the extent I care about like player welfare overall, it's more likely that the union can um, outmaneuver Rob Manford as we've seen. So there's even some advantages to keeping him around. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I like B as, as the easy choice with safety caveat. There. I think for uh, me, when I look
3: at like, yes, the owners could hire someone who could enact their will more effectively, which would screw the players over, which we are all very obviously pro player. But Knowing that, just seeing how he's handled this really makes Rob Manfred look like such an order taker versus anything else. And yes, that's what the commissioner needs to do is the commissioner needs to enact the... Will the owners? But it sounds like he gets shouted at by six owners. It's like, okay, I'll do that. And then another ten owners calls him, and they're like, "Why'd you do this?" And he's like, "Oh, I'll go fix that." And then another five owners calls him, and he's like, "Ah, oh, crap! What what did I do wrong? Just tell me what to do instead of trying to like get them together to agree on something cohesive, like we talked about, bug ceiling strength being." that is so disastrous for any progress on any contract negotiation that even if they got a more aggressive, aggressive Manfred or they get a Manfred light, I mean, obviously the owners are most interested in getting someone who can be the face of enacting their will. And even if that's a bad thing, that person just needs to take it on the chin and help the owners get what they want. But if they can at least get some like, agreement on one side or on like their group of 30 people they're supposed to babysit instead of just like taking a call from groups of them at a time while being in a like haze and a mess and constantly being confused about what they need to do. And I feel like it's so chaotic that even though it is beneficial for the players to negotiate against, it's so chaotic that like they can't even take advantage of those negotiations because they can't progress anywhere because everyone's so confused about what they actually want because he can't handle it.
0: Right. It's, it feels like there's just a general lack of leadership on that wing. Brad, you're kind of describing Medford as an overwhelmed middle manager type, as opposed <laughs> to, you know, like, and that's kind of the way he's been reacting lately, as opposed to kind of that unifying leadership role. He's just kind of, he's the middle manager being pulled in three different directions, serving two different masters, like Paul and Ryan had said too. So Yeah, I don't don't know how much better things would be without Manfred sitting in the commissioner's chair. At this point, though, I think the idea of, in my mind, the idea of a 2020 season being canceled at this point, uh, with all the dirty laundry about the money being released, I think would be much worse than it being canceled due to COVID. So I, I think Manfred ultimately keeps his job going forward. Maybe we get... A handful of games but i you know at this point neither option seems super appealing i also so. think
3: looking at how the i mean we touched on the nba like they might not be able to handle the orlando bubble anymore the mm-hmm. nfl is still a huge question mark we don't know what that's going to look like especially with a huge wave hitting the lower half of the country at this point to me it just feels like sports in 2020 are not really going to be a thing so I think that makes, again, the idea of a 2020 canceled season more palatable because a week ago I was afraid of losing it because it does do significant damage to the sport as a whole. But now that they're, they would be in the same boat as everyone else, it doesn't make nearly the difference that it would in another situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, the nightmare scenario is them not playing and everybody else playing. That would be the worst possible outcome for the sport. It would. But, yeah, I, it, there's what? We have no good options here. It's all just bad. <laughs> right. It's very 2020. We have, Exactly. We have arrived at the most 2020 thing possible, which is there are <laughs> no good options, only
0: bad ones.
3: Like no We entered option. the door, the room is on fire, and we just turned around and left. <laughs>
0: We this are is. Troy
3: Barnes in the community. <laughs> this is the darkest
0: timeline for sure. So we got a couple more Patreon questions to get to. Brian Polakowski is asking us, uh, with the draft just completed and uh, it looking like there's no minor league baseball this year, is there any chance the Brewers throw their first round pick right into the bigs with the expanded roster or any other teams do that with their first round pick? Second question, going the other way, do we not see any top prospects get their debut due to the short season? And maybe teams choosing to manipulate the service time that way. I guess, Brad, you can take it first.
3: Yeah, I don't think Mitchell is the type of player who can debut right away, unless you really want just a speed guy type of September replacement. But considering he needs a fair amount of development still, because they are definitely going to modify that swing, you don't want to really start his clock and have to deal with then rushing him to the minor or the majors because that clock has started you want to make sure you're able to take your time. Now, I don't know if that's the case for other first-round picks because they did. there were a fair amount of collegiate pitchers who can come up and draft her pitch reliably out of the bullpen who were drafted this year. And we've seen teams use... Uh, One of the most recent examples I can think of Brandon Finnegan, their first round picks in that way where, you know, if you can come up, you can be, you throw 98, you can locate two pitches fairly well. You can come up and you can be that pitcher for the organization and teams are fine with that. I think that's the only possible way we see other first round picks really get used if there is a season, Uh, but I'm not sure with only two months of a season, if losing that time is really worth it to some teams, but, looking at history a lot of times those players come up in September anyway
1: so there's Uh, lots of questions that would still need to be answered here right like we need to know first off because there's going to be this taxi squad if they end up playing there's going to be a taxi squad there's going to be this group of players and I could see teams deciding like their first round picks should you know be on the taxi squad so that they can play high level baseball against people and start you know doing some of that development that you were talking about Brad I could see that as being a big thing and but I don't know that it would depend on what the rules are, right? So if a player on a taxi squad is accruing major league service time, uh, then you won't see players nope. be put on the taxi squad just to you know help development or whatever. But if players that are on the taxi squad are not getting major league service time, and it also sort of depends on how big those taxi squads are. Uh, I think with Mitchell, there's also the confounding ability uh, or the confounding problem of he is in a high risk category. We talked about this a little bit last week, you know, diabetic. Yeah, he is a type one diabetic. And we know that that is bad news if you get COVID like it is. It is potentially very, very damaging to him for his long term health. Even his life could possibly be on the line. So my guess is just for that reason alone, they are going to keep him away from you know, potential exposure as much as possible. Yep. So that would make sense. But there's a lot of other factors. I think Brad's point is a great one that there's a lot of players and they aren't just first rounders. There's a lot of guys, Cole Wilcox and uh oh who is the guy from AM that the Brewers were tied to at one point, uh the pitcher. Oh,
3: God uh, I forget his name, but yeah, he was tied specifically by because at Pangraf's because he could throw 98 and locate his fastball and could come up and be a reliever right away.
1: Right. And he was. Yes, that was exactly it was the Brewers could potentially use him in the bullpen this season, you know, and he ended up getting taken by somebody else. But there are other guys who could potentially do that. And so I think we could we could see some of that like those those would be the ones that are most likely and it's not like I said just first rounders. But it, it's all going to depend also on what the we don't know what the rules are gonna be for getting a full year of service time this year. How many right. days is it? Is it because yeah. under a normal season, under you know, a hundred and what is it, a hundred and uh seventy three days is the number oh. of days in the season, or a hundred and eighty yeah. something. <laughs> and you have to get to like you, you can have like 17 days off and you won't pick up a full year. Are they going to prorate yeah. that? Are we looking at like five days? If you hold a guy down <laughs> five days, then, you know, so like what's going to happen to Joe Adele? This is something that has been discussed. I, JP uh, Breen was just talking about this on the Tino podcast. Like, mm-hmm. how is this going to be handled for dynasty teams? Like, does yep. Joe Adele come up right away or does he get held down? You know, how does how does any of that work? So... Lots of questions still to be answered about how any of this is going to work. And who knows? They probably hammered that stuff out relatively easily. Like that probably got Mm. relatively taken care of. Hell, that might have been in the March Agreement too. Because some of it was. We know that players are getting a full year of service time for this year. So,
0: right. There's the ball, basically. Him. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I think on the Joe Adele question, he's absolutely getting screwed, right? Because he's he's property of the angels. So already Moreno <laughs> will make sure he doesn't have to pay him.
1: Well, we already have a center fielder. We don't need another center fielder. So.
0: Right. Right.
3: <laughs> I don't get what. I mean, what has Moreno ever done to make you guys so mad? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess, Paul, do you see teams? Uh, kind of taking advantage of the year to kind of hold down the top prospects another year to get another year out of them. Cause like, why would you waste them for 50 games?
2: I think that's the big thing. Yeah, is it, it's such a short. If they play, it's going to be such a short season that you can't even get a discernible advantage from having like a, a, a even even if a a pick would offer an upgrade over somebody on your roster, even if that were true, which it usually is not, it, it's just not going to make that big a difference. So I think. All decisions will be made based on service time and development, as the guys have said. If they can benefit from being up in the bigs and getting some time against a competition and using that as development time, maybe that happens, especially if they'll be up soon anyway. But nobody's service clock is getting wasted in pursuit of winning this year. Not going to happen. Impossible. Um, so anybody who was going to be down is definitely going to be down. Anybody who was going to be up maybe is up because it helps them long term and short term. But, but that's as far as it goes. No cups of coffee for anybody who um, is questionable in terms of, you know, wanting to hang on for a longer period of time.
0: Right. Yeah. I think you're going to see those taxi squads probably made up more of the, the quad A guys, right? Yep. Or, or the ones that would be on the shuttle back and forth anyway. So, I think so. yeah, I, I, I would guess that we're not going to see many top prospects this year unless they were already signed to, you know, those below rate deals like the White Sox have done, which in any case they're on big lead deals anyway so screw it right (laughs) right so we got another patreon question from jay google this one dealing more with the idea of expansion which i think you know we kind of forget about when everybody's crying poor and all that stuff but hey expansion fees are a way for the lead to make money right so uh, (laughs) the, the ideas come up again so jay is asking which two cities would we think would get the nod in that scenario. And if the Brewers had to go into a four-team division with three other teams, who would be in that division? Ryan, you want to start?
1: Well, okay, I'm going to take the second part of it first. I think that the the teams that would make the most sense, Twins, White Sox, Cubs, but I don't mm. know that they're going to want to split the Cubs and Cardinals.
0: They definitely right. will not split the Cubs. The they market. wouldn't do that. Yeah, uh, you, oh, wouldn't,
1: eh? you wouldn't think so. So that could make that a little bit more difficult. So maybe the Brewers end up in some weird division with like Detroit and Minnesota and Kansas City. Something do you think unappetizing.
2: Do you think they realign it like by reassigning um, from one league to the other? I, 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 feel, I feel like they're almost always against doing that in almost all scenarios. I know it's happened before. I know it happened with the, the Astros not that long ago. And obviously with the Brewers. But uh, I I feel like there's also a bias to, like, having both Chicago teams on the same side and, um, like, that there are sort of established rivalries there that they would be hesitant to break up except to accommodate a new team coming in. And I don't think there'll be a new team coming in that would affect the Central.
1: Yeah. Right. The thing is, I don't know that they would actually go to four-team divisions. I think it's stupid. Maybe this is my own bias. I think (laughs) eight-team divisions make much more sense.
2: And I actually agree with you on that. Uh, You see the same people too often otherwise. So I'm with you on that. I think Mm -hmm. we take it for granted that they'll do four, but I think eight makes a lot more sense.
0: Or how about just two 16-team leagues, no divisions?
2: Let's go old school. They won't go that old school, though. No? (laughs) I, I think they would just get rid of the Pirates and put them somewhere else. I don't think it would be in the be East or
0: something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Paul, I guess <laughs> I actually I
2: haven't looked into the likely expansion places lately. I know I've heard like talk of Portland being one of them. Right. You know, Montreal, I assume is on the table since there's the cockamamie scheme with the is arrays. the arrays. Yep. I think and the thing
1: I, with Portland, Paul is that I believe they have like a framework in place for a stadium to be built locally. Like they, they have like, even like an ownership group that would step in like they have their ducks in a row that's why everybody just sort of assumes because portland is it's almost a ready-made situation for mlb to just hop right into
2: which makes sense so um i I would like to see them have another team in canada it's really kind of a shame that they don't and montreal seems actually like a pretty good baseball town they just had the worst stadium ever and (laughs) you know a a weird situation and it's not it's not that far away that's the other thing like that's it's not a bad flight for for a lot of people. So I don't know where they end up, but I, I guess that's where I'd put my wagers. Um,
0: but I I, I, don't, I actually don't know who else has been considered at all. So I think over the years it's been what like Charlotte and Nashville. Maybe you'd make them major league. Cities. San Antonio
1: but, has been discussed too. San Antonio
0: kind of comes and. up. Yeah. Oh, that's what Texas
3: needs more top tier sports teams. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the state no income tax maybe. California, Texas, and Florida each have like four teams.
1: <laughs> well, I mean that is where I mean, the people are. So that
3: is where the people right. are. It yes, is. I know. It's just uh, mid midwestern, northern midwestern boy gets angry at uh, mm-hmm. southern people having mm-hmm. everything. <laughs>
2: Well, get mad at Florida, but Texas people at least show up to games.
3: Right. Having Florida, which historically just has no one except for like in rare instances. Yeah,
2: I don't like it when teams are in places that just have transients. So like I, I never get why you put stuff in San Diego, Las Vegas um, or any of the Florida places that just have retirees with previously existing loyalties to other teams. So,
1: Speaking of uh, Vegas, that has come up, but it's also logistically like that would have to be a domed stadium you would like you would write really, there's no way around that you can't be playing baseball in vegas in nope so <laughs> the...
0: 115 degrees at 8 p.m yeah yeah
3: well i th- yeah i i think montreal especially the league has been playing up the nostalgia of the expos a lot lately I feel like they would definitely have to be a top city for that, depending on how the situ- the screwy situation that Paul mentioned between the Rays and their 50 50 split ends up working out, if it could work out in the scenario. But yeah, I think like Vegas has had such a boom in popularity as a sports destination. Right. Uh, and I think you could, while you build the stadium, it seems fairly easy to, if the, group is okay with it borrow the nfl stadium that was just built, and you i mean we already are plenty good at playing baseball around existing football teams so i think that is something that makes a lot of sense just based in how it's grown such a target on it the one thing that would suck is they just built a... And the minor league team could still exist there, but they just built a pretty good minor league baseball stadium there. All right. So that would be, like, the one thing that would suck is that, like, all of a sudden you'd be overshadowing that because of this. But I I just think those two line up. Just for fun for a four-team division, mm-hmm. Twins, Cardinals, Cubs, I, I would go... I. I get why Ryan went with the
0: two Chicago's, but I think the league is
3: adamantly (laughs) against putting them in the same
0: league. Yep. Sure. That would make sense. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'd struggle with uh, reverting the Brewers back to AL or keeping them in the NL, but you know, I guess with the universal, maybe maybe that's now, you know, like, (laughs) uh, you know, maybe the league has less qualms about moving teams back and forth. if Everybody's playing under the same rules, right? It's, it's less of an ordeal. See, I don't, I would like to see the twins, you know, the other week we had the, the question about what non-brewer teams do we like to follow and the twins have always been one for me, but you know, I could go either way. Maybe you could go twins, White Sox, Tigers, or I don't know, keep it upper Midwest. It really depends on how the uh, divisions are, are aligned. So,
3: so Uh, Royals, Tigers, Brewers, who else is trash? (laughs) 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 that's nearby i can't well
1: they may decide too that they like the idea of realigning based on market size and Mm. they you know as a way to keep competitive balance afloat to make sure that you know if you're at a four-team division yeah the brewers royals twins and tigers none of those teams are you know top flight markets none of them are in massive uh, massive TV markets that are going to set the balance of power that way so they would get to compete against other small market teams though the fear there is that you then create like a, a bifurcated league basically where you have you know the haves and the have-nots and the have-nots are playing for their playoff spot maybe in baseball that doesn't matter because well, I think the postseason the- is just so random
2: The reason they won't do that is because it would put um, competitive pressure on the big market teams to spend more to compete with just the big market teams, where right now they can spend less and bully the small market teams, um, and I think they like that. So I don't think you'll see that, though. I like it as a way to get um, relegation in via the back door. if they did go that route, Hmm. but but that obviously won't happen. I I think they'll never go to something along those lines, even though it would be kind of fair just for that reason.
3: And on top of it, like we were talking about the 18 or eight team divisions, but if we're going to expanded playoffs and we're doing eight teams, a league as has been suggested, I almost rather just go, you have your leagues and no divisions. I get that gets rid of rivalries, which makes it less marketable. But like, I, especially with how convoluted the wild card gets with two divisions, then why not just have one through 16, whoever finishes in the top eight, you're good.
1: You're in. Yeah. Well, yeah. The the problem, though, is, again, they definitely Marketing. they're not they're not giving up the uh, unbalanced schedule. They want teams playing more games. Everybody, every single owner wants their team playing more against teams that are close to them because it improves their gate like it yep. brings yep. in more money. Sure so
3: well and when you look at someone who's an hour and a half away those games are always sellouts regardless of how either team is performing Mm
0: -hmm. right look at the brewers twins games yeah those are always packed with both fans right uh plus as we mentioned baseball is so regional too you know i don't know how much you know in the nba the the one conference no division makes more sense to me uh because that seems to be much more of a national game national appeal but like nobody's tuning in to see you know random twins against seattle mariners games
3: <laughs> hey, so
0: maybe <laughs> remember maybe. <laughs> how much
1: everybody always complains about things like oh the rivalries of the teams that don't really have a natural rival so oh, like right. yeah. oh w- who cares about the uh, god i don't know what is it the red Sox and the uh the braves i think that's a history i think that's a rivalry I think yes. those protected rivalries.
0: Yeah, That's well, it's one of the protected you rivalries. You know, the Braves used to play in Boston, so there right. you go. Makes yeah, sense. that makes sense. Which
1: which is for people who, you know, were alive and cognizant in the 1840s. Babe Ruth be, was a Boston back-for.
0: Brave.
3: Yeah. He was, yeah. <laughs> Weren't they first like the Boston Bean
0: Towners or something like that? Bean Eaters. Yeah. Bean I think eaters. that was the Red Sox yeah.
1: were originally the Bean Eaters.
0: It is. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I love the old-timey names. Absolutely. So, I don't know. The yeah. The yeah, it, were weird. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think the Braves to are bring the. Back some
1: names. I believe the Braves are the longest running, continuously operating franchise.
0: So I thought that was the Reds. No, because yeah. the, the Reds,
1: the Reds have been different throughout time. It, the Braves, I'm pretty sure, have been a continuous oh, organization. Like as the Braves since 1876, when the National League was founded. I'm pretty sure that is it's the longest running one. So the Braves should be starting
2: five minutes early on opening day, not the yeah, Reds. Yeah, right. The reason
1: <laughs> the reason the Reds get that is because of the Red Stockings thing and the fact they were like the first professional team. But it's not first the same. Professional team, it's yeah. not the same organization. It's not okay. You know they they. They folded and it was a different group that would then became the Reds. So
3: Ohio ruins everything by doing stuff like that. Like the second Cleveland Browns. Like <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Get out of
1: here. I, I love that they made a big deal of that too, that they were keeping the records. Like you can move to you can move to Baltimore and become the Ravens, but we're keeping our record book, our sacred yep. record <laughs> book. Oh
0: um, <laughs> yeah. It's such a good yep. record book too. Nice work, Browns. We'll be damned if you take Bernie Kozar from us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of uh, retro players, we got a Twitter question from JD, and this is kind of a fun one. So we're recording this on Sunday, Father's Day, as uh, MLB Network's set to kind of unveil a, a special documentary on Ken Griffey Jr., which I'm personally super excited about because I was always a junior fan growing up. So in, in light of that... Uh, JD says Griffey was also his favorite non-Brewers player as a kid. He's pumped for the documentary. And he wants to know what our favorite non-Brewers were when we were growing up. So, uh, Paul, go first. Um, mine was
2: was definitely Bo Jackson. So nothing nothing out of the ordinary there. I like I did like Junior a lot too, um, and I sought out all of his rookie cards like everybody else does, and they're all worth five cents as a result. But uh, so I, I loved Bo, and I fondly remember like a brief home run chase between Bo and Rob Deere that they had um, during one <laughs> nice. season for the first half. They were like back and forth the whole time. And then Rob Deere turned into a Rob Deere. But I also really like guys who uh, had great outfield arms. So I like Corey Snyder and Jesse Barfield a lot. Jesse Barfield Ooh. has like the greatest arm of all time. I urge you to go seek out his, th- he had no idea where it was going, but uh, it was, uh, it was incredible. So those were fun. And then I followed anybody who was a Donruss rated rookie. Um, <laughs> Yes. So, it, it, just <laughs> if you want to, to run through a couple, of, like Greg Jeffries, Walt Weiss, um, bj was one of those. Never turned out that well, but uh, but, but uh, anybody who showed up on there, I, I always kind of paid attention to just to see if they actually would turn into a star. Um, most of the time, not really.
0: Dunras <laughs> <laughs> Don, so, needed better prospect. scouting.
3: Prospect rankings have been bad for 30 40 years Then, <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: Oh yeah. If you want to if you want fun, go look back at some of the prospect ratings from like the mid 90s and just oh, see some of the names on the list. That's great. Baseball Even early America's 2000s is fun. Yeah. Baseball
1: America's uh list go back to 1990 and some of those early ones. I mean, it was it was a different industry and it was a different uh like way of of doing things. It tended much more towards tools and much less towards yeah. uh production and mm-hmm. so there's just all kinds of weird nonsense yeah. by
2: the there. way the, re- the reason the rated rookie thing kind of took off a little bit for for people in that era was um jose canseco was one of the first ones and mm. his card was actually kind of rare so like it, 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 it in like 89 it was worth like 50 bucks at a store so um uh, uh, jose canseco was actually one of the big reasons for the the, the card boom and bust that happened around that time and he really he kind of made the rated rookie thing happen single handedly by by becoming the phenomenon that he did.
1: You're you're stepping all over me here, Paul. Because I, I was, was going, sorry.
0: I was going to say,
1: yeah, well, literally, Jose Canseco. Transition to you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Jose Canseco. In my baseball fandom as a kid, I went through several waves of it. I it really peaked in like eighty eight to like ninety, and so that's the Bash Brothers era. And I. Loved Jose Canseco. Um I think because his brother was playing for the Muskies
2: <laughs> at the time. Ozzie, yeah, his twin brother. Yeah,
1: so
0: Canseco, Yeah,
1: like uh, that was that was a big deal. Like there was that connection to Madison, and the A's had that, and so there was there was that, and just the A's were like the sexy team because they hit a bunch of home runs, and that's what you know when you're like nine, ten years old, that's cool to you. So, right, <laughs> uh, I was definitely all about about that. If you go a few years, I, I think I've mentioned this on this podcast before, but uh, the only jersey that I have that is not a Brewers jersey, uh, baseball wise, is Brady Anderson.
0: <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you brought that, you you brought that up. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yep. So Brady Anderson. So I've, I've really got the like the rogues gallery of favorite players from my youth. Like the, these guys are all people who have been uh, disgraced and very. uh History does not look kindly back upon them, but yeah, I, I've got Jose Canseco and uh, Brady Anderson.
0: <laughs> nice, as, nice.
3: As I mentioned before, like I loved baseball as a kid, but I never really watched it. And it wasn't ever really available. So I didn't really start becoming baseball obsessed until my later teens. So I don't really have any of the like, even then, like Griffey was on the Reds. He was kind of on the decline. Mm-hmm. Um, And he was a rival, although my answer for this question kind of contradicts that. But (laughs) I enjoyed watching Adam Dunn a little bit more because, again, homers. And although Griffey hit homers, he didn't hit like 500-foot bombs and then strike out eight times. So
1: (laughs) that is one of my favorite baseball coincidences. And just like the Adam Dunn versus, uh, oh, God, what was his name? The center fielder for Juan Pierre the the Adam Dunn versus Juan Pierre thing, and how they oh, yeah. oh, God. they ended up being almost exactly the same war
2: they did for their career <laughs> and
1: everybody like but at the time everybody like hated Adam Dunn or it, Adam Dunn was the the popular choice of people who were Moneyball fans because yep. he mm-hmm. walked a lot and hit for power and like defense wasn't important and Juan Pierre was you know fast and. Didn't really get on base, but he slapped the ball around. He was the classic. Bases, yeah. Yeah. Well, he was the classic idea of what a, you know, 70s fan would think a center fielder should be. You know,
2: center fielder, number two hitter,
0: get a bunt down, move a guy over, steal the base. Yeah. It's just crazy. So, like, I've been watching a lot of the MLB Network old games. So, you know, a week or two ago, they had uh, some of the 2003 World Series on. So you got the Yankees power stacked lineup. And then you you look at the Marlins, and it was like game five or six, and the Marlins hadn't hit a home run in the entire <laughs> World Series. It was just uh, in the line of, you know, Luis Castillo, Juan Pierre, and then maybe you get 19 year old Miggy Cabrera and Mike Lowell or something. And that was the, oh. the extent of their power. Maybe yeah. Miggy. Yeah.
3: But, yeah. So, like Griffey, he, I respect him now more in the past, but the guy I always went out of my way to watch was Roy Oswald.
2: Ooh, really? Okay. Yeah. Roy interesting. Oswald. Interesting choice.
3: Yeah. So like he was, cause he reminded me so much of Ben sheets. It's just, he had the team to like back him up. Mm. So he was like a guy I always went out of my way to watch. And like, I thought he was so interesting. I really like fell in love with pitching when I first started really liking the game. Uh, ben sheets was perpetually injured. Like at, cause I started watching consistently after 2005, which was after 2004 when he should have been higher than last place in the Cy Young ratings. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But he shouldn't have won. Randy Johnson deserved the win, not Roger Clemens. But Ben Sheets shouldn't have been only gotten a point. Um, So that was like Oswald was the guy who like I went. I was like, I want to watch this guy. He, He throws hard for a starter. Then he had a great secondary offering. He controlled well. I thought he was just a fun guy to watch. Yeah, of all the players,
0: that was him. Yeah. I, he kind I, of defied the odds too. He was he was a shorter pitcher too, which back in yeah. that day was not typical either. And he held I, on I,
1: for a while. Him and Tim Hudson were kind of yeah. paired that way.
2: Yeah, I I need a documentary on Adam Dunn um, because <laughs> it's so he is the prototypical guy who can't move very well, like Doofy can't even play first base, um, competently guy. But he was he was a quarterback at Texas. Right. Um, and he only focused on baseball because uh, they recruited Chris Sims, Phil Sims' kid, and asked Adam Dunn to move to tight end. Um, which again, like Adam Dunn was asked to play tight end in in Division one college football for a top program, and then he's he, seen he as unathletic in, in baseball. He focused yeah. on baseball after that, <laughs> and you know, like couldn't play any defensive position, which strikes me as <laughs> just insane. I mean, his so,
1: nickname was the Big Donkey,
2: <laughs> it, <laughs> right? Yeah, it was. But I love like, that name. Uh, just the the, the 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 dichotomy between what he was asked to do at Texas in football versus what he could do on a baseball field, it 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 makes no sense. Like, did he let himself go? Did like what happened to Adam Dunn?
1: <laughs> well, he was yeah, when he was coming up, he was a big time prospect. I remember people really being excited about him, and Austin Kearns were kind of coming up at the same time for the Reds. They were oh, in yeah. that generation before yeah. the Joey Votto. Um, Oh, the pitcher uh Cueto. Like it was yeah. the generation before that group. But mm-hmm. they were like Adam Dunn was was considered pretty athletic, and he was one of those guys who I think it's maybe the like the Corey Hart career path where if you look at younger, like he was never as fast as Corey Hart. Like Corey Hart yeah. was legitimately really fast and athletic, but Dunn just aged really poorly. And maybe it was because he had played a bunch of football and like got his body maybe. made up and like yeah. and also just because he was huge. Like those guys tend to slow down faster. Like it's right. just that's physics. I,
3: I can't believe he's only 40. And I can't believe he never uh. led the league in homers.
1: <laughs> but
3: Lenny had one, two, three, four consecutive seasons with exactly 40 home runs.
1: He is the only guy I've ever seen hit one out of Miller Park on the fly. He went over yeah. the uh, the glass in yep. yeah in uh, right center out there. Like he actually hit one out of Miller Park on the fly, and I don't think I've ever seen anybody else. You have so to have right a, you have to be A bat. Yeah, well, you have to right. be a lefty to do it because. If you're a righty and you're pulling to, you know, that side, there isn't that opening the same way yep. as there is on um, over by the Tundra territory. And that was not as occupied as it is now. There was more
3: yeah.
0: space when Dunn did it. But yeah. Right. Like well, he Dunn... hit one
3: to the then-do deck,
0: right? Yeah. So like, he Like he, the top I think of he... the do deck. Either he or Brandon was like the first to hit the do the deck. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. right. Fielder had so, to have hit
1: the do deck at some point,
3: right? He did after Dunn had. OK, mm-hmm. I, I remember them making a big deal in like 0506 about done doing it and being like, that's the longest home run in Miller Park history. And then I think Fielder came within like two feet of it. And then the longest I can remember from the right side was Braun hitting over Bernie's slide. Yeah, going to I, I feel like
0: I've seen Sosa go over Bernie's slide out of the park, too, but that may have been. There's also a home run derby.
1: Branyan hit one to center field where he hit it way the hell up on the the old scoreboard. Um, he, yeah, he
2: broke the light. Yeah, I so that mean was he a, a total
1: bomb, absolutely just tanked one to center field, and that ball was like, I swear to God, it was rising when it hit the, it the, hit, the, <laughs> the, the it hit the like that ball would have gone like 580 feet that's, had it not that's been stopped.
3: Crazy s- those things are crazy to me because it's just like people can barehand those suckers. Like, after yeah. I saw the home run derby where the guy caught uh, Stanton's ball and, like, he. he took a picture of his hand afterwards and was just purple and swollen that's when i was like i'm done making fun of people for not her for bringing gloves
0: like no yeah. Yeah. like you should not be barehanding these things well, once so we found they're... out about exit velocity that that opinion changed quickly steve yeah, garshinski
1: was standing underneath of one of ricky week's uh rockets because he would hit ones on lines that were just yeah. and he he said it went over his head and he could hear it like, I'm sure. <laughs> you're like, by you. The yeah. whistling by, like, oh my God. It's going like 112. <laughs> yeah, I
3: mean, exactly. Yeah. When Ricky Weeks <laughs> got duck. a hold
1: of one, it stayed hit. Dude, like, that uh, ball was him- gone.
3: It's that funny is. the home runs I remember because it's uh it somehow turned into a home run honor segment, but him <laughs> like <fine>. bouncing <laughs> one off the three hundred then three hundred club yeah and then he also hit one off the scoreboard and the dent was in the ad where he hit it off yeah. of the rest of the season,
0: <laughs> I I think I vividly remember that too yeah that oh man I miss Ricky shout out to Andy Chef same here yeah <laughs> <No>. Andy. <laughs> He just gets a ping anytime somebody mentions Ricky, even on the podcast. (laughs) Uh, I guess looping back to the JD's original question. So we kind of got all eras covered here. uh, Cause I, I kind of came of age as a baseball fan in the late nineties. So, you know, earlier I said, I vividly remember the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, uh, you know, with the game where McGuire broke the record. So that's kind of the era I remember most. And, um, Junior, by far, was my favorite player as a kid, like literal posters on my bedroom wall kind of thing, modeled my my swing after it, which didn't work out too well for me. <laughs> but, you know, I still I still hit with the elbow up high. And, you know, uh, it's just the sweetest swing. Uh, and because of that, I, I followed the Mariners or at least played the mayor as the Mariners a lot in Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball. So Randy Johnson, as a as a lefty myself, became probably my favorite pitcher of all time. And then, you know, a lot of the big names of that era that Pudge Rodriguez, I'll always think is one of the best catchers ever because that was just his peak in the late 90s. I didn't have cable, so I was watching a lot of the national games. So this is, you know, a a lot of my other favorites are sort of like the teams that were consistently in the playoffs. So, you know, Jim Tomey was a big one for me because the Indians were always in the playoffs. (laughs) Uh, Chipper Jones, because the Braves were always in the playoffs. And those are the games that I got to see. So those are just some of mine
3: the guy I remember actively wanting to love but couldn't fall in love with because I could never find a way to watch his games as a guy who grew up in Racine without cable and I only got like three channels was uh Pedro like I wanted to love Pedro but I just couldn't watch him yeah um and then also I remember like briefly as a child loving Mark McGuire and then of course you know he comes on he went do you want to
2: know the truth, or do you want to see me hit a few dingers on The Simpsons? <laughs> dingers, the Simpsons dingers. Got them to do that. Like, the, the context on it is so different from what they actually did. So. <laughs> right?
0: But Going they knew what they were doing, now. which is
2: the genius of The Simpsons. It is. Like, between, they knew what
0: they were doing. So, between
3: like, the NSA spying, the uh, controversies in baseball, that thing has
2: layers upon yep. layers.
0: <laughs> yep. There's a Simpsons episode for everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Before we wrap up, I wanted to quickly mention an 80s player that I hate. Um, sure, <laughs> which, is, which is Juan Berenguer, who is who is a pitcher for the, the Tigers and the Twins in the '80s. And the reason everybody hates Juan Berenguer, uh, and I mean that, is because when he struck somebody out, he did a little dance. Um, and like, not kidding, he would like, he would strike somebody out, and he would like do this dance off the mound. And if he wasn't in the AL, he would have gotten hit every single time he batted because every hitter despised Juan Berenguer. So. Um, I'm sure it's, I actually don't know if it's on YouTube. I haven't checked. If it is, I will go find it and put it on Twitter. So um, that uh, guy was an asshole.
3: See, my most hated for similar reasons is Carlos Zambrano.
0: I oh. hated uh. the, well, I just hate him cause he was on the Cubs. Yeah. Oh my God. It was yeah, his like,
3: as a guy just getting into baseball, like one of your big competitions being this arrogant guy who, and then like anytime, like the um, way his air, er- I like arrogance in baseball, but the way his was like manifested in true anger. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, he just had legitimate anger issues. It was yeah, just, yeah. It, it wasn't like he was showing you up. He he was just legitimately <laughs> needed help. <right>? Yeah, always <laughs> mad, always yeah, beating
3: did. up some poor inanimate object in the dugout. Oh
1: yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. He has some of the all-time dugout tantrums.
2: Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Gatorade and
1: coolers will never save for only no-hitter.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh yeah. God, nope, that doesn't. Nope, that's
3: count. a race from the history book, James. <laughs> that, that crap <laughs> didn't does, happen.
1: That crap does not count. I mean, it Ted, shouldn't no, have even. The next day Why Ted Lilly almost site- did it.
3: Why was the neutral site ninety minutes away from Chicago? It was all a farce. It was a ruse. It was- <laughs> well, it
1: was because they had just done the uh the Angels Indians thing yes. the year before and they yes. offered and like the Cubs weren't gonna say no. The Astros <laughs> were like, Screw you, this is terrible, but like they the Astros weren't gonna say no to it. But or the, also the, the our Cubs stadium's say underwater. No. So
2: <laughs> wasn't it wasn't it Jim Jim Crane was their owner, right? Yeah. They might. Wasn't it his fault? Did, couldn't he? Have no, no, no. Early? Jim
1: Crane was not the owner oh, at that point. It was still not the. It, it was wasn't still it still? was the. McClane. It was McLean. It was Drayton McLean. I thought
2: it was. I thought it was somehow the Astros' fault that they could have moved it somewhere closer I, had they bailed it, earlier t- or something. Or, yeah, yeah, I think
3: it was because they got like three stadium options for neutral sites, and, and then and, they were like. I
2: think. I think that they were hoping they could play it that the hurricane right. would either miss them or not be quite as bad, and that they were holding out for the revenue. And by the time it became obvious. That it was going to make it impossible to play. That was the only option that was left. I think. That I, I also felt like it only became a big tantrum from them after the fact. <laughs> after
1: well, the I mean, game. the Astros. Got no hit. The Astros <laughs> showed up and were clearly like those players had no interest in being there. It was kind of like when the Marlins had to. Uh, they switched the the game to Miller Park. With the Marlins and like those Marlins, they were just dead. Yeah. Like they had yeah, no I, I, when I say it's the
2: Astros' fault, I mean it's the Astros owners' fault. Not the, the players were, you know, obviously exhausted from having their houses destroyed by a hurricane and having to travel and right. you know, having loved ones possibly in danger. So totally understand why they got blown out by the Cubs there. But I, I fair, do think their ownership put them in a bad spot.
3: Sixty percent of that team was bad people, so <laughs> we can blame it on them too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sure uh so this is a lot of fun uh and if you want to send us questions to talk about uh for next week you can do that on twitter our uh podcast twitter account is at mke tailgate you can also send questions to all of us directly on twitter ryan is at rd top paul is at badger noonan brad is at brew crew blue and i am at james l that's james with a y and if you haven't already, please don't forget to, to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And a reminder, you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash Tailgate and you'll get priority when we send a call out for questions next week. And you get a shout out when you do sign up. In the meantime, thank you all for listening this week. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Stay well, and we'll be back next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.